Okay, a brief one question Hanukkah quiz. You have only one coin, and you can only buy either Shabbat candles or oil for the Hanukkah lamp. Which do you buy? How many people think you buy the oil for the Hanukkah lamp? Raise your hand. That many. How many people think you buy Shabbat candles? You're all wrong. <laughs> this is what Maimonides says. Behold, person has only one puta, one coin. This is the beginning of the last section of Hilchot Hanukkah, the way in which Maimonides Rambam begins the end of his laws of Hanukkah. Person has only one coin. Ufanav kiddush hayom v'hadlakat ner Hanukkah, and before him he has to fulfill both the mitzvah of Shabbat candles and the Hanukkah. Makdim liknot shemen v'hadlik ner Hanukkah. He gives preference to the lighting of the Hanukkah lamp. Um, and um, over, even, uh, wine for Kiddush uh, and the lighting of Shabbat candles. Uh, and then the reason he gives for that is because both of these mitzvot are actually rabbinic in origin. And so therefore, since Hanukkah contains a miracle, you commemorate the miracle over the lighting of Shabbat candles. Um, interesting. But then Maimonides, he goes on. And I want you to think about what the next section of Maimonides, what does it have to do? What's it suggest about the relationship of Parshat Vayeshev, this morning's Torah reading, to Hanukkah? Or ner betofi kiddush hayom. A person has before them now the opportunity to fulfill only one of two mitzvot: lighting the Shabbat candles, or lighting a Hanukkah lamp, or alternatively lighting a lamp for one's for Shabbat candles or reciting kiddush. Right. So you you have a choice: you can light Shabbat candles or the Hanukkah. You can light Shabbat candles or recite kiddush. That's the choice before you. Um, and what does he say? Shehare Hashem nichmat la sot. I'm sorry, that's not it. Ner beto kodem. The light of the Shabbat candles takes precedent in that circumstance. Why? Mishum shalom beto. Because of the mitzvah of shalom bait. Shehare Hashem nimchat la sot shalom ben ish le ishto. Because, um, behold, um, it generates shalom bayit um, between a, uh, a partnership, a sacred couple, and gadol hashalom shekol haTorah, and greater is shalom bayit, greater is peace in the home than all of the other uh, commandments of the Torah. Nitnal asot shalom ba'olam, because it's from shalom bayit that we derive and learn and generate peace in the world. In other words, peace is of primary importance because God's name can even be blotted out, says Maimonides. You can blot out God's name to create peace between a loving partnership 
Peace is great, for the entire Torah was given to bring about peace within the world. Uh, and as the Torah, as uh, rather Proverbs says, noam shalom. Its ways are pleasant, and all its paths are peace. And that's how Maimonides concludes Hilchot Hanukkah. Um, what does that suggest to you about Parshat Vayeshev and Hanukkah? What's the relationship? Anyone want to venture a thought? What's the essence of Parshat Vayeshev? How does all this mess of Joseph and his brothers begin? It begins with sibling rivalry. It begins with Joseph is a self-aggrandizing, uh, sometimes it seems spoiled little brat um, who is in, in a terrible way set up by his father to be a tattletale on his brothers. And he has these dreams of success and he feels the need to share them with his brothers on top of that. And so the Torah says at the very beginning of the story, Vayomru lo echav, and his brothers say to him in response to his sharing his dreams, Hamaloch timloch aleinu? Do you think you're going to rule over us? Imashol timshol lanu? You're going you're gonna to be the boss and we're going to have to do whatever you say? Vayosifu odes no oto. And as a result of that, the brothers added to their hatred of Joseph. Al Chalamotov al Devarav, because of his dreams and because of his need to tell his dreams to his brother, to his brothers. And so as a result of the sibling rivalry and the hatred between the brothers, the entire Joseph story unfolds. Um, Hanukkah starts that way too, by the way. You read the book of Maccabees, the four chapters, the first four chapters of the book of Maccabees, what you'll find is the Hanukkah story is not related to the fairy tale that we tell our children. Right? The story of the Maccabees is not told by the rabbis in the Talmud, and it's not remembered by the rabbis in the Sidor. Hanukkah starts as a civil war. It starts with the Maccabees, the zealots living in the countryside going after the Jews that are assimilationists, that are accepting Assyrian Greek culture and are coming and bringing their idols, their, their, their worship, to the idolatry of the time. Um, the Sidor celebrates the Maccabees, but it doesn't, uh, it doesn't make reference to the weapons. It changes the story from civil war to one of God's intervention and of oil. And for the rabbis, what, this, what the oil represents and the story that they want to tell is not one of military victory that starts as a civil war and then because of political, socio-economical issues becomes a revolution against the Assyrian Greeks. Rather, what the rabbis want to tell you is a story of, of a miracle that comes to symbolize unity and peace and shalom bayit. And this becomes even more important because the Hasmoneans, the Maccabees, they ruled for 150 years, but their rule came to an end because even amongst their own family and their own tradition, they couldn't keep it together. 
Their sibling rivalry led to the end of the Maccabean of the Hasmonean dynasty. What started as a civil war ends as a civil war. And so the rabbis want to tell a story of Shalom Bayit, the same story that is told in today's Torah reading. Joseph was the same thing. Joseph was an assimilationist. He looked like an Egyptian. He talked like an Egyptian. He walked like an Egyptian. I know, I can't help it. <laughs> right? Um, he was an assimilationist. He was wealthy. He was set. And yet, the end of the story shows us that Joseph was also unfulfilled. Without his brothers, without his tie to family, without Shalom Bayit, he was lacking. He was unfulfilled. Shalom Bayit is so important. It's so important in our tradition. And yet when we look at the state of the Jewish people today, when we look at the state of Israel, it has never been perhaps more at risk than since the Maccabees themselves. Uh, the chief Sephardic rabbi, just the other day, uh, on a Saturday night a couple of weeks ago, Rabbi Yosef gave a talk in which he not only railed against the High Court of Justice, but he also railed against reform jury, and by reform jury, he means also conservative jury. He's including the us in his, in his uh, railing, um, and what he did is he, um, he said that the Khatam Sofer, right, he says, how did the Khatam Sofer uh, come out against the reformers of his time in the, in the 18th century? With sword and a spear, Yosef said, referring to uh, a, a, a rabbi who around the turn of the 19th century, the 18th century, rallied against the reformers, the Haskalah, the Enlightenment uh, of Germany, and said that the only response to the reformers is with the sword and the spear. Now, the Khatam Sofer never actually uh, engaged in violence, um, but certainly that rhetoric seems like it engages with violence. And when, when we heard it uh, just a couple of weeks ago from the chief Sephardic rabbi of Israel, was it any surprise that um, just the other day on Thursday night in Jerusalem, during a protest by hundreds of ultra-Orthodox extremists, uh, where trash cans were on fire, um, uh, they pushed a trash can over, and a 40-year-old woman who was walking by um, was injured and is in critical condition at this moment in the hospital. What were the ultra-Orthodox protesting? You just can't make this stuff up. It was a cell phone store that was selling cell phones that weren't up to their standard. There's such a thing in the Orthodox world as a kosher cell phone. Not to eat, obviously, but a cell phone that has um, like the parental controls, so that the ultra-Orthodox can use it for telephone communication, but not for access to the internet. And so these cell phones that they were protesting against were in some way, shape, or form still had access to the internet. And so there were people mobbing the streets, vandalizing a cell phone store on Thursday night, and it got so out of hand that a, a woman was seriously hurt. 
And then, what is it that they were saying when the police came to arrest people that were involved with this, especially those that injured the woman? The ultra-Orthodox says, don't worry, Ben Gvir is coming. He will set this straight. Ben Gvir, one of the leaders of the new ultra-religious Zionist parties. Same thing happened in Hebron. When an, when an IDF soldier went out of bounds and attacked a pro-Palestinian protester, and the IDF disciplined that soldier by putting them in jail for 10 days, Ben Gvir and the soldier's father complained um, the punishment doesn't fit the crime, it's too harsh, and this particular soldier and his father, don't worry, Ben Gvir is coming to set it straight. If anyone thinks that angry rhetoric doesn't lead to violence and to sinat chinam, the senseless hatred and civil strife and the potential of brother fighting brother, you're just not reading history and paying enough attention. And so it poses a really challenging question. If Shalom Bayit is so important that you can blot out God's name, how do we behave in a circumstance when Shalom Bayit seems to be so at risk? How do we not respond to angry rhetoric with other angry rhetoric and add to the polarization and the hate and the divide that is plaguing our people and our society and our world? How do we find ways of speaking with respect such that we can be heard by the other side and we can learn to listen to the legitimate complaints and hardships of those with whom we disagree? There are, of course, a multiplicity of responses to this question. Daniel Hartman and Yossi Klein-Halevi, uh, I think it was uh, yesterday, Friday, on their podcast, For Heaven's Sake. Um, first and foremost, uh, they want to remind us that there's a difference between the electoral math that led to what will be the next Israeli government and the views of the population, actually. There was a recent poll that just came out in Israel, very recent, that showed, not surprisingly, that 70% of the center and left bloc the anti-BB bloc, is worried about the future of democracy within Israel. That's not surprising. We would expect high numbers from that particular bloc. What is surprising is that 40% of Bibi's bloc, of, the, of Likud and of the religious parties, is also concerned about the future of democracy and are worried about the relationship of religion and state of the law of return, of the rights of the LGBTQ plus community in Israel, and of peace with the Palestinians. And in fact, there's a greater consensus over LGBTQ and the law of return in Israel than there are over the other issues. Uh, Yossi Klein-Halevi pointed out that that's probably because those two issues hit people at home. It's our families that we're talking about that have extended family and immediate family that are Russians and our, our children 
that, that may be in the LGBTQ plus community. And so there's a greater consensus on those issues because they're not ideological, they're practical for Israel. So it's important to remember that, that the government, um, though it has a mandate to govern, the danger is that it's gonna misread its mandate and go far afield of where the population actually is concerned about. Um, a second thing is that we all, especially Israelis, but also us here in the diaspora, we have to put the next government on notice that we're gonna monitor carefully, we're gonna watch, we're gonna critique, we're gonna challenge, and when necessary, we're gonna come together and we're going to rally for the values and the causes that we care about. And that we have to direct our advocacy and our giving to Israel, to those organizations that support our values, and ensure that if these are the things that we care about and that we are contributing to Israel, that we're not inadvertently supporting those causes that are contrary to the values that we care about. That takes a lot of work. What we cannot do is disengage. Because if we disengage, then we create a vacuum by which the extremists will just fill it and take power and hold it for a very, very long time. And if we disengage, then we're basically writing off half of the Jewish world for whom, as those polls show, most Israelis are concerned about the same things that we're concerned about. So that we cannot do. What we have to work towards is creating a new social contract, a new Hanukkah, a new dedication of relationship between our values and our people and the way in which we govern ourselves. And we have to work to make these issues voting issues within the state of Israel. Because what led to this government were people's sense of personal safety. Crime is up, terrorism is up, and the extremists spoke a language of taking care of personal safety. And that, at the end of the day, is what won out. We need a new social contract that leads to shalom bayit, to a sense of reconcili reconciliation that we can lean into. Fortunately, we're not forced to choose between the light of Hanukkah and the light of Shabbat. We can have both. Um, I don't have it in, in front of me, but I meant to bring a picture of a 19th century Hanukkah. Um, most Hanukkiot that we're aware of have how many candelabra on them? They have nine. There are Hanukkiot, especially from Eastern Europe, from Poland and Ukraine, from the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries that have 10. Why do they have 10? Because two are for Shabbat, and um, because, because two are for Shabbat, and so you bring Shabbat light into the Hanukkah, um, into the Hanukkah candle. It is possible to have your cake and eat it too, to have the light of Shabbat and the light of Hanukkah together. Hanukkah comes to teach us the dangers of internal strife. Dangers 
that we have to pay attention to. Careful not to be overwhelmed such that we shut down, but we have to pay attention to the dangers that are in front of us at this moment. That's what Hanukkah comes to teach us. Shabbat comes to teach us the importance of Shalom Bayit. They're lit by the same oil. And so we have to remember that according to our tradition, Shalom Bayit always takes precedence. If we can do that, if we can help others to understand that, then we can celebrate Hanukkah and Shabbat and hopefully navigate through this time where Shalom Bayit will be the end result. And that's something that we can all celebrate. Shabbat Shalom.